Hi, and welcome to another great message from Noosa Church. We pray that you're impacted and inspired by this teaching. For more information and service times, check out our website at noosa.church. Enjoy. We've been speaking about this concept and Kristen's on this pilgrimage and he talks about us being strangers and pilgrims and I've called this, titled this message this morning, Strangers and Pilgrims. And I'll, I'll tell you, when we've, Kristen and I um, travelled a bit over the years and when we first started travelling, we were doing a lot of one-night stays in places. Does anyone resonate with that in the early days of travel? Because there's so much to see around the world, isn't there? And you stay one night and you check everything out and then, and then you, go, you move on to the next place. And what we realised is when we got home from our travel, uh, all we saw was the piazza and, uh, and, and we were traumatised by the, by the travel. So we moved into this, this different space over the years where we we find the key to great travel is being able to unpack somewhere. When you can unpack in a place, you actually get to appreciate where you are a little bit more. And, and then sometimes when you go back to the same place, it's less of, you know, you, you've, you've got these comfortable spaces. It's like going to your second home somewhere and those sorts of things. Um, and the goal at the beginning is to see as much as you can. But then over time... Instead of trying to see as much as you can, you like to stay, unpack somewhere and look a bit deeper into where you are and discover the, the, the deep culture of the place, not the tourist version. And I guess, um, I guess that today I want to encourage us in our spiritual lives um, that our, the goal as a believer is not to know everything and to see everything. I mean, we've been preaching out of these scriptures for, um, you know, the New Testament for the last 2,000 years and the Old Testament another three, two or 3,000 years, two, maybe a couple of thousand years before that. So you're not going to grasp it all. I just want to let you know. Those of you who think you can get it all, you're not going to grasp it all. The goal is not to see and to know and to understand everything. The goal is to get to know the author. But what I want you to do, and what I want to encourage you to do this morning, is I want to encourage you in your reading of the Scriptures to stop and unpack around a verse, around a chapter. Don't bypass it when it looks a bit too difficult. You know, you don't get caught in a, you know, don't get caught in a place. Um, you know, you, you're walking through, you're reading a Scripture, you go, oh man, that's too hard, and just keep going. Sometimes you need to actually unpack and discover the grace and the hope and the wisdom and the, and the joy that God has for you on the other side of spending a little bit of time there. See, the first line in our text today from the Apostle Peter, our text today, by the way, is 1 Peter chapter 2, starting at verse 11. The first line is, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims. Now, I want to... I guess I want to invite you to consider yourself differently because one of the great challenges that we have as believers is how we define our relationship to the place in which we live. How do you define your relationship to the place you, you live in? Noosa, Queensland, Australia, the planet. Like, that's where you live. But what are you? Do you declare yourself an Aussie, 
You know, I mean, is that your identity? Are you an Australian? You're a Queenslander? You know, you know we, we get caught in these places. And I want to suggest to you that when the apostles writing to the Jews scattered throughout Europe and Asia, he's inviting them to redefine their relationship with the place that they're living. Because it's, it was easy for them because the Jews were not from there, but they were there. They were there as pilgrims, as sojourners. But sometimes when you've been somewhere for a while, you don't think, you forget that you're a pilgrim. You forget that you're a sojourner and you become part of the place in which you live. And I want to suggest to you that when he said, he says, I beg of you, he was inviting them to, he was inviting them to remember that they were not in their place of origin. They were not in their place of identity. I was born in Western Australia. I came to Queensland and out of the goodness of my heart, I started barracking for Queensland in the state of origin football. But my heart is in Western Australia. Not really, but my football team's in Western Australia. My heart is in Italy. My stomach is also there. You see what we do? We get caught we get caught in the logistics of where we live. And God's inviting us today, I believe, to look at all of ourselves differently. He doesn't want you to define yourself by where you've, where you've lived. He wants to define yourself as a child of God, a citizen of heaven, as a sojourner and a pilgrim in this place. And the reason that's to me that I believe that, that the, the Apostle Peter, he, he begs them. He says, I beg of you as sojourners and pilgrims. The reason that he uses such strong language is because if we don't define our relationship with the place that we live correctly in our spiritual lives, we won't read the Bible correctly. We won't be able to interpret what God wants us to do correctly because our attachment, our identity is seen in where we live not where we're from. I beg of you as sojourners, as pilgrims, temporary residents, you could say, as a sojourner. You're a temporary resident. You're a pilgrim, you're a journeyman. You don't, you're not attached to the land that you live in. You're on a mission, you're on an adventure. So before we start digging this morning, I want to invite you to consider yourself differently. Not as citizens with rights, but as pilgrims on an adventure, spiritual pilgrims on an adventure, not looking to gain an identity from the place that you live, but to pursue God's will through you. One of the scriptures that I have in, you know, in my, in my um, prayer book is out, is out of Psalm 119, and, and it says this, it says, Bend my heart to your will, O Lord, and not to the love of gain. See, if you're a pilgrim and you love gain, your bag's going to get a lot heavier, isn't it? Your backpack's going to get a lot heavier because, you, you, because everywhere you go, you get attached to something and you put it in your backpack and you carry it with you. And eventually, your backpack's so heavy that you can't walk anymore, so you have to buy a caravan. And then your caravan gets so jammed, you know, you've got to buy a house. And then your house gets bigger and it turns into a chateau. You know, and, you're, you know, and all of a sudden... You're attached to this place. So let's start. Verse 11. Beloved, I beg of you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul, having your conduct honourable 
among the Gentiles, that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may, by your good works, which they observe, glorify God in the day of visitation. So how do we do this? It's a difficult scenario, isn't it, you know, of life of, well, how do we, how do we live in a place and function without being overly attached to the place that we live? And I, I want to suggest to you this morning, I'm not trying to give you advice about living um, lean in the area of, you know, what you own and all those things. That's between you and the Lord. What I'm trying to, I'm trying to challenge you or, or, or give you permission to consider further is just how you see yourself in your spiritual attachment to the place that you live. And I think one of the great examples we have in the Bible is, is in the book of Daniel, and, and it's Daniel himself. And so let's just quickly look at Daniel out of chapter 1. So Nebuchadnezzar, who has been declared by many as the most evil king or leader on the planet of history, um, for many different atrocities and reasons, he came to Jerusalem and he besieged it and uh, he, he took control of it, put all their gear out of the temple and brought a few people out of the place, out of, out of the Jewish leadership and hierarchy and brought them into his palace. And the reason that he did that, because, you know, we, re- we read here, it says that the children of Israel that would come to serve in the king's palace, whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed to them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine in which he drank. Now, let's just pause for a second because I think we make a mistake as believers here when we, you know, we step into the unknown, into the fray, and we declare our surroundings evil. And I want to suggest to you this morning that when Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself, he was referring not to the, to the nature of the, the, the meat and the wine that the king was giving them. He was talking about he didn't want to defile himself by becoming attached to where he lived, not to where he was from. See, a pilgrim's not thinking about good or evil. When we step into the place, when we get caught in what's good and what's evil, we forget our purpose because we're so busy figuring out what, should I do this, should I do that, should I eat this, should I not eat that? You know, we get caught in, in that sort of thinking and we get distracted from our purpose. They're thinking about the journey. Pilgrims thinking about the journey and the adventure and what will enhance it and what will limit it. And this is, this is what I want to suggest to you this morning. If we can see ourselves differently, if we can see ourselves as, as pilgrims, as temporary residents, as, as people who are from, uh, from a different place, we get to look at these things differently. We don't look at is this right or is this wrong. We think of the areas of attachments. We go, is this thing that... that is being offered to me right now going to make my journey easier and lighter or is it going to slow me down on my journey? So he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. And I want to suggest to each of you this morning that this is a moment of courage too. 
It's a moment of courage because as soon as you say, um, you know, I don't want to, to um, drink the Kool-Aid, I don't want to do this, you create distance between you and the environment that God's called you to serve. And we see this back and forth. So we don't just do it boldly and, you know, and put up walls and say, no, we, according to our law, we will not do these sorts of things. He didn't. He said, well, how about we do a test? And he says to the leader of the eunuchs, you know, let's, let's do a test. And he said, in verse 11, he says to the steward, test your servants for 10 days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. And let our appearance be examined before you and the appearance of the young men who eat the portion of the king's delicacies and as you see fit, so deal with your servants. So he consented with them in this manner and tested them 10 days. And at the end of the 10 days, their features appeared better and fatter in the flesh than the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away their portion of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink and gave them vegetables. Now, Meat eaters, any of you meat eaters out there? I want to suggest to you this morning that you should all be vegetarians. <laughs> Sorry. Does, I actually want to suggest to you that this is not a conversation about vegetables and water. This is, I think sometimes we get caught, you know, the Bible gives us great advice in how to live in the natural sometimes. But I think when Jesus was talking, there, there was a conversation Jesus was having at some point with some guys who were tithing on their spice rack. But, that, you know, but he's, Jesus says, "What? that's fine. Like, that's a good thing to be generous and to give. But he says, you're forgetting the weightier matters. Let's not reduce the scriptures to a health book. Let's not reduce the scriptures and God's living word as something that will sustain our earthly life. Let's look a bit deeper, church. This is not a conversation about vegetables and water versus meat and wine. It's a, one of attachment and mission. It's what are you attached to? What is your major attachment? Is your, an attachment, another, another word for attachment is the word hope. Where is your hope fixed? Is your hope fixed to things here or is your hope fixed in eternal life? And sometimes when we see in ourselves that our hope is fixed here, then we need to detach from some of the things here so that we can get into the process of attaching our hope in eternal life. So you don't beat yourself up. You look at your current situation. What is the status quo? The status quo is I just want the, I just want the meat and the wine. And you go, well, that's, meat and wine's fine for everyone. But if it's your attachment, if it's defining your identity, if the stuff defines you, then maybe it's time to detach from that so that you can increase your attachment to the things of God. Verse 17 says this, as for these four young men, David and his three, I mean, Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel, Daniel had understanding in all visions and dreams. So here's the, here's the encouragement. When our, when our detachment or attachment is grounded in looking for the health tip in the Scriptures, 
we missed the greater truth. I'm going to do the Daniel diet. I prefer the king's fast. The king's Daniel diet is whatever it is, 21 days, 10, you know, 10 days of vegetables or whatever it is. The king's fast, he fasted all night. <laughs> King was stressed out and he fasted all night. That's me. You see, when we limit the scriptures to how to live life well on earth, we miss the spiritual reward. And I believe that God wants to give you some visional restraint. He wants to place a mission in your heart. See, Daniel and the three, three guys were there. They had, God had purpose for them in that place. But what made that purpose clear and what helped them hear from God and be, have clarity and not be clouded by their attachment um, to, to the things of the world was that they, didn't, they, they, they separated themselves even further. Why do, they, why do we separate ourselves? For clarity. We separate ourselves for clarity in a different area. I think God wants to invite you into a deeper truth today. Some of us have attachments in, in many different areas and, and in and of themselves, they're not good or evil. They're just attachments. But when you ask yourself the question, where would you have me fix my hope, Lord? When you ask the Lord that question, when you ask him saying, where do you want me, Lord? And, and, and if he says one direction over here, um, you may need to detach from something over here so that you can pursue the will of God. It's a good question to ask yourself. And as a traveller, it's easy to become enamoured with the culture that you're in. It's easy to become enamoured with the culture that you're in. It's interesting for us, we live in a tourist town. So the culture of Noosa is this tourism. You know, you go wander down on Main Beach and, it's, you, know, you, you know, you just feel like one of the tourists. We can get caught in that frame of life. But God, we, we're not, we, we, live, we work here, we live here and we work here. And, and we kind of get caught and we go, well, sometimes who are we? You know what I mean? Everyone else is relaxed and they're, you know, doing all their thing. And we're, you know, we're serving them cups of tea and making them a coffee or whatever we're doing or building them a house or what, you know, we get, we get caught whereas everyone seems relaxed except us. But we love the idea of what they're experiencing in our town. I think God inviting us in a spiritual way not to be so enamoured with the culture that we're in that we disconnect from the culture that we're from. You see, when you were born again, you, know, you became a citizen of heaven and you are now from there. Sometimes we need to remind ourselves how to walk that journey well. And as we do... We can be labelled. We get labelled a bit as Christians. You know, people don't necessarily like what we do and what we stand for. Um, there's no avoiding the world calling us evildoers. But we can, through our pursuit of God, show his grace, show his wisdom, show his provision to those around us in our conduct. And interestingly, um, I think the Greek word might be something like anastrophe, for conduct, but it's interchangeable. Like if you read the New King James, it says the word conduct. If you read the Old King James, it uses the word conversation. You see, it's through our conduct and our conversation that we help people see beyond what we're doing. And it's interesting then, it says, 
and then they may glorify God in their day of visitation. It's such a beautiful concept. And for each of us, there's a day of visitation where God calls you by His Word and His grace to repentance. And here's the greatest evangelistic thing you can do in your life is to model God's grace. Not just in your conduct, but in your conversation. In fact, I think one of the greatest evangelistic words is the word anastrophe, which means be one in your conduct and in your conversation. You see, we're all going to make mistakes. We're all going to, we're all going to fail. But it's, you know, so when, when we do fail, let's just tell the truth about it. And I think people uh, have a lot more, uh, you know, they, they love seeing someone who's genuine in their words and in their behaviour. To me, that's one of the great um, things that, that I look for in life is if I want to do life with people closely. I want to know that their conversation and their conduct are on the same page. And I think as believers, when we do that, when we're having the same conversation, if I'm a different guy up here than I am when I'm at home, then to me, eventually that's going to do me in and people are going to lose. Guess what? When they have their day of visitation, I go, they go, I was going to go with God, but that pastor, his conduct and his conversation were too different. And it happens for all of us. For all of us, our conversation and conduct sometimes go in different directions. And when we see that, we need to give ourselves, um, you know, a, a little clip and repent before the Lord and before each other and tell the truth. How about this? Let's consider someone else's day of visitation before we speak and act. You see, when I am chatting to anyone and I grasp an awareness that at some point God is going to invite that person into his throne of grace and their decision to glorify God or not potentially could be in direct relationship to how they perceive my spiritual substance that day. We are now representatives of his grace, of his generosity, of his truth, of his integrity. And there's an invitation, the apostles inviting us here to consider that at some point that, that person is going to have a day of visitation where the Lord invites them. And they're going to potentially make or not make that call based on your interactions with them in their life. What a great challenge the apostle gives the, gives the pilgrims that day. He goes on, therefore, 13, submit, therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king as supreme or to governors, as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free, yet not using the liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. Honour all people, love the brotherhood, Fear God, honour the King. This is a deeply challenging instruction, isn't it? Because when I say you obey the government, what do you say to me? Well, the government's corrupt, government's selfish, government hates God and Christians, yada, 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 etc., etc. Or you may say something like that. And this is, and we got... In, in, in the scheme of things around the world, we've got a good, reasonably good government. You know what I mean? 
So what is he talking about when he talks about this, this living in submission, this, you know, this pursuit? Let's take a minute, right, and let's unpack it. Let's unpack around this because um, it's very easy for us to, in our human rights, make decisions according to how we're being treated by our local government. But as a pilgrim, what happens? You have no rights. You have a mission. You have a vision. But you don't act according to your rights because where are your rights? Your rights are somewhere else. Your rights are in eternal life. Your righteousness is in Christ. Your rights aren't here. You're righteous in Christ. See, if we don't take time to unpack, we just pass through areas. We pass through scriptures like this that are, that are hard because we're being asked to serve something corrupt. Imagine Daniel. Daniel's asked to serve a corrupt government. What did he do? His conversations with the king were, oh, king, may you live forever. Or he received the word, oh, king, may, that, may this prophetic word not be about you. He was serving the king, but in the will of God at the same time. So he wasn't serving out of fear of, of the human, human in front of him. He was serving out of fear of God to be in the will of God. That's why I think it's so important that we don't miss what Apostle Peter was saying at the start where he said, he said, I beg of you as sojourners and pilgrims. Because if you miss that, then you're going to struggle with this scripture. So the first question is, what's your mission? Why are you here? Why are you having a pilgrimage through Noosa and Queensland, Australia or whatever at this time? Why are you in this place? Because when you understand that, it can redefine how you interact with the, with the leadership and the government and the whatever in the land that you live in. And once you've discovered why you're here, then you can discuss with yourself how you're going to interact. Because God has a mission for each of us. He has a position for each of us that, that as we uh, interact with the place that we are living, his will would be done. So to me, my prayer as I live in this space, it's not about how can I, um, you know, what, how can I make a stand for this and a stand for that and those sorts of things. Um, it's, Lord, what's your will? And for some of you, that is God's will for you. You know, God positioned people like Daniel to serve in a corrupt government. Why? So they could transform the government. But for someone else, you know, they were just living in Babylon as an exile. And the hard part is the closer you get to God in your life, the reality of the world and its poor governance becomes clearer and clearer. So you realise our human capacity to lead is very limited. So I want to encourage you to dive into the Scriptures. Unpack in the area of Joseph, in the area of Esther, in the area of Daniel, in their lives, and look at how they interacted. They, didn't, they, they were all not from the place they were serving. They, they were definitely not from there even in the practical for us, we may even be born here, but in God, you're not from here. So when you read the scriptures, make sure you read them in the light of where you are from, not in the light of where you live, because otherwise you will try to inflict your human right instead of present his righteousness.
Here's the challenge. Have a bigger vision than your own personal rights. Have a spiritual mission beyond your own personal rights. It's a big ask and it's a big invitation. Why? For the Lord's sake. He doesn't say do it because they're worthy of it. He doesn't say do it because that's what a good citizen does. He says do it for the Lord's sake. Because sometimes the Lord's positioning you for influence. The Lord positioned Joseph in Pharaoh's house through many different terrible scenarios that he had to walk through and keep a sound character in all those places. Never did he discuss his rights. But when he was there, God could use him to liberate his people from the pending famine that was coming. Verse 18, servants, be submissive to your masters with all fear, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the harsh. For this is commendable. If because of conscience toward God, one endures grief, suffering wrongfully, for what credit is it if when you are beaten for your faults, you take it patiently, but when you do good and suffer, if you take it patiently, this is commendable before God. This, that's a rough, why did I get this verse to preach? It's just a rough verse, isn't it? You know, kind of, you know, it's, it's something that doesn't tend to necessarily resonate in our modern era, does it? It doesn't resonate because it feels like, you know, it feels like this, even this concept of servants doesn't even feel right to use those words. But I, wanna, I guess I want to keep taking you back to, to reminding yourself that you're a pilgrim. Reminding yourself, you know, that you're on the king's purpose and you're not from this place. And the king's asked you to serve in this place. So he's asking you to look beyond what you know is your right. Beyond, he's, you know, he's just not, I'm not saying put up with these things. I'm asking you to unpack and consider who you are while you live here. Because otherwise you get caught in a battle of your rights and instead of being in a battle for the vision and mission that God has for your life. He wants you to first, remember, he wants you to seek first the kingdom of God and then he'll take care of your rights after that as a, as a human. I want to suggest to us this morning that this may be an invitation to deal with our defensiveness. You see, in all interaction, in all interaction, there's a character lesson. When someone comes to me or comes through someone else and says, the pastor, yada, 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 he's out of order, whatever, a million different things, um, first thing I want to do is defend myself. I'm doing my best. I'm giving you everything I've got. I'm studying the scriptures, blah, blah, blah. You know, but here's the reality. There's probably an element of truth in what the person is saying about me. And when I'm not attached to the words of man, I can hear the Lord speaking through those same words without being defined by them. So in your service, God's inviting you beyond the instinct to become defensive and seek the character lesson, seek the wisdom of God in the midst of it. Why do I immediately jump to defend myself? It's a great question, isn't it? You know, in, the, in, the, um, in our history, you know, in the English and in, in those um, 
before we became rebellious Australians for stealing loaves of bread or whatever we did to get, out, to get stuck here in this wild country, before we were doing that, this concept of the gentleman exists. And what defined a gentleman that he was always defend his honour. A gentleman was a man of honour and if you challenge his honour, the first thing he would do was defend his honour. And what is the Lord saying to us? He's saying, take up your cross, deny yourself, follow me. He's saying, don't defend your honour, live, live in my honour. See, God's invited us to a place not to defend our honour, he's invited us to a place of confession. Why? Because our honour is not attached to our behaviour. Our righteousness is, righteousness is not attached to our behaviour and our rights as a citizen. Our righteousness is attached to his sacrifice. So when someone challenges you and says something and, and, and accuses you of something, here's a great response. Look, some of that may be true, but I can tell you something even worse that I've done. That's nothing. Check this out. I, uh, you know, I, what does Paul say? I'm the chief of all sinners. You might just be calling me a sinner. Forget that. I'm the chief of all sinners. You see, when, when our conversation and our conduct come into being, come into one, we show where our attachment lies. Your attachment is, becomes visible in what you defend. Are you defending that you are righteous in Christ or you, are you defending that you are right in the moment? It's a great consideration to have, isn't it? Because all of us are right. Every now and then, I'm right. A lot of the time, I'm not right. But in that moment, when you accuse me, I was just right in that moment, so I'm going crazy just to defend that moment. But here's the thing, church. If I'm attached to being right in that moment, eventually I'm going to be exposed in a big way. But what if I didn't attach myself to that moment of being right and I lived in his righteousness, then the attack of humanity can just be an opportunity for me to declare his goodness in my life. Verse 21, why? Listen to this. For to, you, for to this you were called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps, who committed no sin, nor was deceit found in his mouth, who, when he was reviled, did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but committed himself to him who judges righteously, who himself bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were like sheep going astray but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Give me a better example of that than that. Jesus' example is beyond my comprehension of what I could ever do. But what it does do is it gives me such hope that I don't have to worry about defending a moment because my moments aren't really worth defending. What I will do is stand on the foundation of his moment. Stand on the foundation of a liberty that no one can take away. Because eventually we will fail each other. I will fail you, you will fail me. But his love, what? 
never fails. His love never fails. So let's make sure we're standing on the right foundation, church. Let's make sure we understand that when we're here, uh, we're on tour. We're on an adventure. We're on mission. We have a vision from heaven. We're on a a mission from God. You know, know, we, we... we're not attached to this place. We use and enjoy and are equipped by some of the tools we get from this place. But our hope and our attachment is fixed in eternal life and in Jesus' return. So before we jump to defend ourselves, let's ask ourselves the question if we've truly accepted his righteousness. And as we fail, which we will, First instinct usually is to defend yourself, isn't it? I want to ask you to take a pause in your life before you jump to defend yourself, to defend who you are and where you've been and what you've done and who you know and yada, yada, yada. Before you do that, take a minute and say, who, am I here to defend what I have done or am I here to display his righteousness? Because I don't know who you're talking to, but at some point in their life, they're going to have a day of visitation where God speaks to them and says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And their experience with you potentially could be pivotal to that. And as we fail, which we will, let's do it gracefully. Let's repent early, repent often, repent in advance. When I was preaching earlier in my, in my preaching season of life, um, I sometimes I, I was, my conduct and conversation were not quite uh, in sync. And uh, so once I figured out that they weren't in sync and things would flow out of me on the platform, I would get up and repent in advance for potentially offending people uh, before I did. I was doing it yours sincerely before I actually said the words. It's a tough scripture to preach out of this morning, church. But let's not be believers who follow the parts of the Bible that are easy to follow. Let's not pursue God when it benefits us. Let's just pursue God. Let's not defend ourselves just on the moments that we're right. Let's defend our righteousness. And the way we defend our righteousness is living in a way that gives him glory. It's a, tough, it's a tough one to swallow, this one. It's a tough pill to swallow, but, but if you unpack, take the time, church, to unpack around the Scriptures and allow them to resonate in your life. Allow them to actually um, display the integrity and character and, and heart of God to you because your life will be blessed. And not only will your life be blessed, those around you who don't know the Lord will see something in you that they've never seen before. Let's not try to travel the world in one year and go to every place for one night. Let's unpack. Let's get to know the culture of, of the place that we've chosen to live, to chosen to have, give our life to. Let's pray this morning. Father, we come before you humbled by what you have done.
humbled by the burden that you carried for each of us on the cross. Humbled by the invitation that gives us eternal life. Humbled by the fact that we sinned, but you took the burden of our sin. So Lord, as we say yes to you this day afresh, we ask that you would strengthen the resolve in each of us to represent you well, to represent you so that the fruit of your spirit may be visible not only in our conduct but in our conversation. We lift up your name in our lives and I ask for each person in this place this morning, Lord, that you would do business with their hearts and with their minds and that you would help them to see with the flesh clarity some of you right now, the Lord's asking you to attach yourself to an eternal hope. And to do that, you may need to detach from a few things here. I just ask for those people, for all of us probably, Lord, that you would open our eyes to the areas that you've asked us just to let go for a season, not declaring them evil, but but declaring them, limiting our capacity to declare your greatness and to walk in your will. Help us to see those areas, Lord, because we want to pursue you alone, Lord. We lift up your name and we seek your glory and we give you our worship in the mighty name of your son, Jesus. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this teaching that you've been encouraged and challenged. To stay up to date with our latest messages, you can subscribe to our podcast. For more information, resource or service times, please check out our website at noosa.church.